This is Kristen Newman, and you're listening to the TV Writer Podcast. Hosted by Gray Jones, the TV Writer Podcast is brought to you by Script Magazine and ScriptMag.com, the leading source for script writing information in print and on the web. And by Final Draft Script Writing Software, the entertainment industry standard for script writing worldwide. My name is Gray Jones, and I want to welcome you to the TV Writer Podcast, partner of Script Magazine, episode 38, for Thursday, October 20th, 2011. Well, it is October, and October 28th, something very exciting is happening, and that's that Chuck, season 5, is coming on NBC. It's now on Friday nights, and for the next two episodes of the TV Writer Podcast, I'm going to be having some Chuck writers on the podcast. This week, I'm very, very excited to present writer-producer Kristen Newman, who was a new writer as of season four on Chuck, but not a new writer. She's got a lot of great experience writing on lots of great comedies, and you're going to hear about that in her interview. And uh, as well, next week, there's going to be Craig DiGregorio and Phil Klemmer. So really, really excited to have these Chuck writers on. And as you probably know, Chuck is a great story of the little engine that could. Um, going five seasons is something that not a lot of shows can do, and they've been able to keep on chugging. And so uh, we're coming into their final season, the last 13 episodes, and it's really, really exciting to talk to these writers. Um, of course, I do host a podcast for Chuck. You can find that at chuckpodcast.com, and episodes will be resuming as soon as the new episode of Chuck comes. So uh, starting the first week of November, you can watch for new episodes at chuckpodcast.com. And of course, the, the website for this podcast is at tvwriterpodcast.com. There's lots of great resources on the website, like a database of TV writers on Twitter. You can uh, find almost 900 writers there. And as well, there are many web links that take you to great writing resources, lots of books that you can buy on the site, which do help to support the podcast and also help your writing. Um, and if you ever have a problem connecting to either of these sites, you can get them also on blip.tv for the Chuck Podcast. It's at blip.tv slash Chuck Podcast. And for the TV Writer Podcast, it's at blip.tv slash TV Writer Podcast. And if you're new to either of these podcasts, I urge you to check out the, the back episodes. There have been lots of interviews. On the Chuck podcast, there's been lots of writers, as well as actors and other crew members, tons of interviews. I think we've had over 100 interviews on that podcast. And on the TV Writer podcast, we've had uh, close to 40 writers now. So some great, great content talking about TV writing and our favorite TV shows. But speaking about talking about our favorite shows, let's move on to my interview with Kristen Newman. Enjoy. This is Gray, and I'm here with writer-producer Kristen Newman. How are you doing, Kristen? I'm great. Thank you very much. Well, it's such a pleasure to have you on the podcast, uh, in particular because I've actually met uh, almost all of the writers from Chuck, but uh, not the latest batch. And so you're the first of the new batch of writers to to be able to be interviewed on the podcast. And so welcome. Thank you so much. I'm excited to uh, to, to add my voice to those who've come before. <laughs> cool. And uh, so we will get to Chuck near the end of the interview. I know there's going to be a lot of Chuck fans listening in, so be patient. Uh, the questions for Chuck will come up toward the end. But first, we want to get to know you a little bit. My boring life first. <laughs> yeah, where you grew up, went to school, all that sort of stuff. 
Uh, I grew up in Long Beach, California, me and Cameron Diaz and Snoop Dogg. Uh-huh. Then I went to Northwestern in Chicago for college. Wow, that's a pretty far trek. It was, you know. I knew I'd end up back here, so I wanted a little break from it all, get a mm-hmm. little bit of varied life experience. And then I did a year of ski bumming in Vail and, and made my way out to L.A. Cool. So did you know all along that you wanted to work in the industry? Yeah, I grew up writing, doing journalism, and writing with friends, and I took a writing class when I was in high school that was just a UCLA extension creative writing class, and there was a guy in it who had written for Sesame Street when I was watching it, and he had been the first person to tell me how a writer's room works and that it's collaborative, and I'm a social creature and hate sitting alone with a computer, Hmm. and I liked the idea of writing with other people in a big room full of crazy people screaming at each other like Dick Van Dyke, mm-hmm. and so that was where I first got the idea. Cool. And so what what did you study in Chicago? Radio, TV, film, and then English. Mm-hmm. Great. And so now it was 96 that you got a job for Everybody Loves Raymond. Was that your first break-in, or, or had you done stuff before that? Yeah, no, that was it. I was a post-production assistant on the first season of Raymond, mm-hmm. and we you know, had six episodes, and then they gave us three more scripts, and then three more episodes, and then four more scripts, and... Just with this very slow burn of a first season, and I was driving film and tape and and stuff like that around the city for fifteen or sixteen hours a day, and that was how I got in. Very cool. And uh, and from there, um, you went on to Nikita, was it? Uh huh. I was an assistant to Joel Cernow and Lafemme Nikita. With mm-hmm. the we were down in L.A., which is the writers and an avid, and then everybody else was up in your town in Toronto mm-hmm. making the show. It was his show that he did before he created Twenty Four. Hmm. Very cool. And and so, um, that was your first time actually assisting in the writing. So that was a definitely definitely a step forward. Um, yeah. and then you did another one as a writer's assistant on Mad About You. Yeah, I was on the last season of Mad About You, which was a really great experience for a lot of reasons. There were twenty two writers, which was which was insane. Usually a staff is, you know, maybe 10 or 13. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got my first scene that I'd ever written shot on that show, which was very exciting, a little teaser. They had those little, like, one or two page teasers at the top. And I wrote one that got shot, and I had a really great experience. I, I was I was starting to take UCLA extension sitcom writing classes around then. Mm-hmm. So I was on the side writing specs and and trying to get the writers to read them and made a million friends there because we were always at work. So it was it was... A great experience. Cool. So, um, uh, this this is actually the first of the fan questions, and this comes from Steph C. And mm-hmm. she's wondering, um, how in particular did you get the jobs, the the early jobs, and and what what was the experience like in the room for you as an assistant? Well, the very very first jobs, I really didn't know anybody, but I you know had a, anybody that I could find that had any relationship to anything, I would take out to lunch and sort of question. And I finally got a hold of a family friend whose boyfriend's ex-wife was an executive at Warner Brothers. And they were still friends enough that she took my resume and made a couple phone calls and got me a couple interviews. And that was how I got my first PA job. Mm -hmm. And then after that, it was a matter of the next couple were still hard to get. We're still kind of, you know, cranking through lists of production companies and vaccine resumes. And then you started to know a couple people and... Once I knew people, then I started to kind of have my resume passed around for me. But, yeah, I was just really pushing, you know, facts on a lot of resumes. Mm-hmm. And then as far as the assistant experience, you know, it's terrible. It's a very, very terrible experience. Oh, yeah? <laughs> but great. It's like grad school, for sure. Specifically, being a writer's assistant mm-hmm. is amazing. The PA stuff is, is, is schleppy and hard. But being a writer's assistant is great because you 
are sitting there, fly on the wall, typing down everything that everybody says. And so you get to watch what works and what doesn't. And especially in comedy writing, which is, you know, my, my career entirely up until Chuck was straight comedy. It's so much about the verbal element of pitching the joke and coming up with a story as a group. And so how you act and speak and present yourself and present your ideas and react to other people's ideas is 80% of the game. So getting to sit quietly and kind of watch what people did right and wrong as an assistant was really valuable and great. Mm-hmm. You really, you, you learn a lot of tricks of the trade. I really didn't end up in comedy because I thought I was hilarious. I just sort of ended up in comedy because it seemed like the people who I liked the most, who I seemed the most liked, that's what they were doing. And so, you know, I had to really learn how to write a joke and that's learnable, it turns out. So I, I liked those years. Oh, really? Okay. Well, it, well, Maybe t- tell me a little bit about that. I mean, I know there's tons of books written on the subject, but in your experience, um, learning how to write the joke, was that just something that, that came by observing um, the room, or, or, or is there a, a nugget that you can give on, on how to learn that? You know, it's a rhythm thing a lot, but you, you start to watch professional comedy writers pitch 100 jokes a day, mm-hmm. and you start to see not just where to, how to structure a joke, how to set something up and, and, and surprise the person and what they thought they were going to hear, which makes it funny. Um, but also how to like read a page and see where there's a hole where a joke could fit. Mm-hmm. You know, like I would notice that when the, you know, we'd be going around, you know, tabling, we call it tabling a script when all of the writers will take somebody's script and go through it and write jokes and then you sit as a group and you go through and punch it up with all the new jokes. 95% of the time in one of those sessions, 12 writers will all say, I've got something a third of the way down on page four. Mm-hmm. And everybody will have found that same hole. And they'll all have different jokes, but they will have all like zeroed in on like, that's a spot where you could make a joke, you know? Mm. Um, and so so just kind of learning that and being able to see the joke holes and see an opportunity for a twist and seeing like, oh, you can either use this turn of phrase that you've heard a million times, or you can start with that turn of phrase that you've heard a million times, but finish it with, dif- you know, with different words that mm. because it's surprising are funny. You know, just, you know, the little, there's little rules of three, there's end on the funny part, there's, you know, there's all these, you know, who knows if they're true, but kind of lore about what's funny and what's not, even like what consonants are funny and what mm. consonants are not. And, you know, just, just being around comedy writers and kind of and absorbing it was really the best. Yeah. Cool I, I, I've heard that there's some, some crazy things like, uh, I'm just pulling this out of a hat, but like pickles aren't funny. Pickles are very funny because peas and cuz are very funny. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> very cool. Apparently, though, like there was a big rule on that 70s show, which is that pirates are never funny. Pirates are never pirates funny. Pirates are funny to writers, but not funny to anybody else, it turns out. <laughs> okay. Well, actually, uh, that's leading up to my next question. That 70s show, you started as a writer's assistant, mm-hmm. but stayed for a long time. Tell me about that experience. Well, that was great. That was my big break. So I was a writer's assistant on the second season there. And, you know, on the side was passing my, my spec scripts around to the writers who expressed interest in the fact that I wanted to write. And a couple of them showed a couple of them to the boss. And I got an opportunity to write an episode at the end of that year where you go and you pitch an episode idea and, and you, you know, get to sit at the table, not not behind the computer, and get to pitch instead of type, which was very exciting. Hmm. And mercifully, it went well, and they hired me on staff the next year. And Mark Brazil was my godsend on that. He created the show. And then the show just kept going, so I was there for six more years. And it was just, it was an amazing experience. We did 220 episodes or something. And, wow. you know, continued every year to feel like we absolutely had no more stories to tell. And then you do another season. And so it really taught me that, like, even when you feel certain that you're tapped out, you're 
the writers keep living, right? You keep mm. having life experiences and, and so you keep coming up with ideas. Even if you like, in seven, on 70 show, we froze them in time. Now we, over eight years, they only got to really age three years. Mm. And so it wasn't even like they could graduate high school, go to college, get married, have kids, like do what would give you new stories in another series. Mm. We kept them in a basement in high school for like five or six years, you know, just wow. sitting in a basement in high school still being in high school. So it was really difficult to keep coming up with stories, but it taught me a lot about having faith that they will keep coming, even mm. if you have no idea what they might be. And and what kind of research did you do on that show? <laughs> well, um, not much. Everyone always asked that because it was set in the seventies, but I did, I, I did a lot of the music placement for a few years on the show. Mm-hmm. So I did a lot of music research just because I was finding the cues a lot. Mm-hmm. But other than that, you know, you'd have to Google something here or there about a movie or a TV show that you wanted to make a joke about. But really, early on in the series, like maybe first season, they were doing things like the gas crisis and whatever it was. But after a couple of years, I think everyone realized, you know what, the show is really timeless, mm-hmm. really just about teenagers and family. And, you know, everyone from any time can relate to it. Yeah. So we really just left the kind of clothes and music be the last kind of remainders of the 70s. And then otherwise just wrote it like it was present day. Hmm. Very, very cool. Well, so and then you got up to the supervising pr- producer level and then came something which there's not as many now as there used to be, but the, 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 the words overall deal are like the mother load in TV, TV writing. Tell me about that overall deal that you got. Well, it was at 20th Century Fox and yeah, it was very exciting and it probably mostly came because I got a job offer on How I Met Your Mother, which was one of their shows. Mm-hmm. So that was sort of the last dying breaths of overall deals. It used to be that overall deals, they would just sort of pay you to sit home and dream up TV shows. Mm-hmm. And those sort of got killed off by like the Friends and Seinfeld writers who all got $12 million and never came up with any other TV shows. Oh my. So those kind of got killed off before I came up. So now what deals are usually they pay you a, you know, lump sum to own you for the year but also put you on a staff of the show. Mm-hmm. So they're still getting their money out of you that way. So I was on How I Met Your Mother, and then the next year I was on this six episodes of this Fairly Brothers sitcom called Unhitched that was starring Craig Bierko and Rashida Jones, mm-hmm. and then the strike happened. And so before I could develop and move forward with that part of it, the strike happened. Yeah. And anybody basically who was on a show that wouldn't return was force majeured, which was the basically your deal you know, that they said that you broke your contract by not showing up to work because oh, I was striking, and they canceled out our deal. So I was one of those deals. So I'd lost my deal during the strike, but I I had gotten my foot run over by a car that winter by Will Forte in the Dominican Republic. No. And so I couldn't pick it because I had this open wound. I had, had surgery there, and it was oh, my. the bottom of my foot was torn off. And so I wrote, and I wrote this pilot about my family, that when the strike was over, I ended up selling to ABC, and they made it, and they picked it up the series and for 13 episodes, and it was all going to be very exciting until they pulled the plug before we could shoot episodes. Oh, you know? man. <laughs> well, it was so close. We got to make a little $4 million movie about my family, though, which I love. Wow. That's that pretty it. cool. And um, yeah, that was single with parents? Yes. Very, very cool. And now, you, that wasn't the only pilot that you wrote, though. No, I've also, over the years, written, I, I wrote a multi-cam pilot for CBS a couple of years ago with Warner Brothers, and then I wrote a single-cam pilot for NBC last year that was starring Kristen Davis and based on this self-help book called The Happiness Project. 
but Angela Bronsted lost her job uh, in the middle of that process, and she bought the project. So oh. <laughs> it didn't get, it didn't get made by Bob Greenblatt once he took control of NBC. Hmm. Um, and yeah, and so those were the pilots. And now in the meantime, I, I've been on Chuck the last few years. Very cool. And uh, we'll we'll get to Chuck in in, in a couple of minutes, but. Um, now that you, I mean, you're going to be done, Chuck, pretty soon. Do you, yeah. do you have plans for writing more pilots or what do you plan to do after that? Yeah, I've been developing a show with another coworker on Chuck, actually, Craig DiGregorio. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, he's the other comedy writer, big mm-hmm. comedy writer. It's kind of the fun thing about Chuck is that we have this real array of writers from all kinds of really disparate backgrounds, mm-hmm. which we always all sat, say very sadly that we're never, there will never be another TV show that we will all work on together Yeah, because our you know specialties are so different. So that's the great thing that, about Chuck is that it has all these different tones. And so they bring in, Chris Fiedek has done a great job of bringing in different writers that are, that are great at different things to kind of feed all of the different notes that Chuck hits. So anyway, Craig's the other comedy writer. So we hooked up and we're working on a pilot and hopefully we'll do something together. We'll see how it goes. Very, very cool. Well, I can't wait to see how that develops. Actually, Craig's going to be on the podcast next week. Yes. If, if he can, be, before yeah, the he's baby got comes. a baby coming on Thursday. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Well, I, th- I think we're going to try to tape it before the baby comes. Great. Yeah. Um, so very, very cool. So be- again, before we move on to Chuck, uh, there were a couple of, of sort of more general questions. And one of them was, um, Mo Ryan, this is from Jem J. Uh, Mo Ryan vo- wrote a very interesting and honestly quite frightening piece about the dwindling number of women writers and showrunners in the industry today. What are your thoughts about that? Well, I don't know if it's dwindling. I think that it's certainly low, but I think that it might be building. I don't. Maybe, maybe I haven't read the article, so maybe the numbers know more than I do. Mm-hmm. But I feel like there are definite challenges to being a woman in this business. There's definitely. And I think even more so in comedy than in one hour. It's mm. much more of a kind of boys game comedy. You know, you're usually the only one or maybe there'll be one other girl in the room with you in comedy rooms where it's in, in, in one hour. It's, it's a lot more even on often. It's, you know, it's hard to be a showrunner and there aren't very many of them. And so, you know, even when I was hiring my staff a couple of years ago for, for the single parent show, the writer, the writers that I knew, which is, you know, as a showrunner, you're like, who am I going to hire? And you think of who you know. Even as a woman, I know mostly men. Hmm. And so even I had to really kind of scrape and look and dig to find the great women. You know, they're just, there are fewer. And so it's really easy to just hire who you know, and who you know tends to be other men. Hmm. Even if you're a woman. So, yeah, that's, it's a challenge for sure, but, you know, and, and another thing will happen is they'll, they will say, we are hiring a high-level woman. And there is another woman, Sally Bradford, who's a good friend of mine, and she's the exact same age and the exact same experience level and, you know, also comes from sitcoms and just the same as I am as far as resumes go. Hmm. And every year we're up for the same jobs. Wow. And every year, you know, one year she's like, oh, Kristen got offered three, whichever one she doesn't pick you can have. And then the next year she gets oh, offered three. No. She gets offered all three and whichever one she doesn't pick I can have. And, uh-huh. you know, because heaven forbid you hire two female writers. Yeah. Because you only need one after all, you know, I mean, you, you know, you, it, no one says we only, we already have a high level male, we can't hire another one. No, you'll hire four more high level men, you know, but if hmm. they've already filled their high level woman spot, then it's filled. So that's a thing. It's definitely a thing. Yeah. Um, that being said, you know, there aren't that many high level women, so it's usually me and her. Instead <laughs> 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 of 40 of us. Yeah. Well, and, and I guess um, the answer seems to be create your own show. 
I mean, yeah, except that that's horrible too. Or, you know, at least hire, you know, work for a, a great person like Chris Fiedak is a wonderful man to work for. Mm-hmm. I've worked for tons of wonderful men to work for. And someday I hope to work for a woman. I haven't done it yet. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, uh, hopefully you'll have that opportunity. And, and I mean, I got to say, there's some great shows that, that have been created by women. So, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I'm a huge fan of Liz Merriweather's and the new girl's doing great this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's a really funny, great writer. And, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm super excited about the fact that now all of a sudden this year, all of the networks, all they want to buy is female-centered comedies, which is bizarre. Two years ago, nobody wanted a show with a woman at the middle of it. So mm-hmm. you get one success, like... Whitney or Two Broke Girls or The New Girl, and suddenly that's all they want. So, you know, maybe this will be kind of a turning point this year. Very cool. And, uh, well, and actually that leads to the next question by Steph C. again. Um, What are some shows on right now that you're a fan of? Well, I love, love Downton Abbey. Mm -hmm. All of the Chuck writers get together on Monday nights. And we have illegally downloaded the second season from the BBC. <laughs> uh-huh. And we watch them and we love them. And we get really excited about what they wear and, you know, big storylines about which spoon they're going to use in the dining room. Uh-huh. And, you know, where the dog is going to be allowed in the Abbey. It's just so wonderful. Julian Fellow's madness. And it's, we're all obsessed with it. So there will be some Downton Abbey jokes in, uh, in, a, in a Craig DeGregorio and Phil Clemmer script coming up soon because we're obsessed. <laughs> Very cool. I love 30 Rock. Mm-hmm. I'm really enjoying The New Girl. I was really into Big Love a lot. I was really into that. You know, mostly, I would say it's mostly cable. I don't watch a lot of network, maybe none. I might not watch any network procedurals. Mm-hmm. That might be my thing. But I'm the comedy girl in the room. So it's a lot of like, you know, there's Nick Wooten who wrote on NYPD Blue and Law and Order and he's sort of that guy. Hmm. I tend to not watch many of those. Cool. Okay. Well, yeah. I know that Chuck fans are going to kill me if I don't get to the Chuck questions. So okay, let's do it. on to Chuck. So you joined Chuck in season four and yeah. uh, you've written some, uh, some great episodes. Um, I think a fan favorite and personal favorite, uh, definitely in my top five of, of the whole series is Chuck versus phase three, which was awesome. Um, then Chuck versus coup d'etat, uh, versus seduction impossible versus the murder and, Versus the last details, uh, some great, great episodes. But, um, but speaking first about, about getting the job on Chuck, um, you're, you were stepping into, obviously, because you are, um, uh, 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 at the producer level, I guess a co-executive producer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so stepping in at that level, did you, do you, how do you prep for coming into the room and, and, and being at that level? Well, you know, you watch a lot of episodes and, and thank God for Wikipedia and read a lot about the episodes and all of the blogging that's gone on by everybody. I did a lot of reading of, you know, the fan sites and hearing like what people loved and what they hoped would change and all that. I think that's always good to read and we all, we really all do. We all do read that stuff. So, mm-hmm. you know, definitely everybody's voices are heard. And yeah, I mean, I really, it was such new waters for me because I came from straight half hour mm-hmm. that I really, you know, the first time I sat down in front of having to break six acts instead of three, it's like, oh my God, above, this is so much plot. But, you know, like every, again, everybody has their roles and there's the people who are great at finding the plot and finding all of that, you know, and then, you know, I'll, I'll pop in with like an emotional arc or the jokes or what they're talking about while they ro- rob the bank or whatever it is. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, and then thank God, like, you know, Nick Wooten or Phil Clemmer or somebody will like figure out what the MacGuffin is of the episode and what spy toy they're doing what with and 
you know, how to maneuver all of the moves and the action and all of that. And so at first it was very much like, you know, just kind of trying to fill my role, you know, and what, you know, I felt that I was brought here to do and trying to not worry about my lack of experience in some of the other areas. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, and, and, you know, episodes like probably phase three, I all of a sudden was like, this is really fun to write action. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's really fun to write these one-liner, you know, Clint Eastwood lines over a gun. (laughs) Especially for Sarah. Yeah, like it was really, really fun. So I've really, I've been so grateful to get the opportunity to get to really like learn how to write action that is more than somebody gets up and walks across the room and sits down and then talks for four more pages, which is comedy. So yeah, I feel like I'm, I'm learning some new skills, which I'm really grateful for. It was it was really a breath of fresh air for me. Very cool. So so do you think that uh, some one hours could be in your future? I hope so. I really do. I really do. But again, like I really love Chuck because it has also these elements of romance and comedy and silliness and hmm. made up fantasy stuff, you know, that you could just really have fun with, you know, yeah. like I it's hard for me to imagine, like, cranking out an episode of NCIS. Hmm. Um, but, you know, something that's got a little bit more lightness to it, sure, I would love that. Or even just a straight, you know, I love The Sopranos, I love Mad Men, I love, you know, something that's just like a straight drama that's really emotionally based, I would be really into also. Very cool. Well, back to uh, Chuck versus Phase 3, we did have a, a few questions relating directly to that. And, uh, and for those who aren't Chuck fans who watch the podcast, it, it was a uh, an episode that was really focused on the Sarah character. Um, she had to travel to the ends of the earth to rescue Chuck and kick some butt along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Boy, boxing battles. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, 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 one fan, uh, Dennis L asks about the selection of that episode. How, how did you end up with that episode? Was that something you asked for? I have the worst memory in the world. I knew that there was going to be something stumped. I can't really remember how it came up exactly. I think that I think that Chris might have reordered things a little bit so that I was writing that one because it was such a chick episode. But I can't really remember. But that might have been true. Mm-hmm. Um, it was either true for that one or Goody Tie. I forget which. But yeah, the the tie of it all. I, I I travel a lot, and and I think that things have gotten a lot more international as far as where we go location wise since. Since I've come on, mm-hmm. I, I I love to add the flavor of a foreign place. Yeah, I think that it really gives you a different vibe than just another gray building in Los Angeles. So you know, I liked the dirtiness of it. A lot of the Chuck episodes are really kind of shiny and mm. and and high tech and sci fi looking, and I thought it would be cool to do something that had a little bit more of a kind of dirty feel for this for for how hardcore she was going to get. Oh, I, I loved when she came up out of the mud. Oh, um. great, right? Yeah, that was so sad because it was like four in the morning yeah. and she was, it was so cold and she was such a trooper. She just like trooped into the lagoon in the back lot of Warner Brothers into the water and just came out and kicked that guy in the face. It was great. Uh huh. Very cool. Well, and that, and that's not the only location. Um, you, you were telling me in an email about, um, a trip down to South America. Yeah, it was really fun. That I, the, the, I sent you this photo um, that was a picture of me on the fake Columbia set, which is from uh, The Last Details. Mm-hmm. And I was planning a trip to Columbia as I was writing it, and I thought that perhaps if the episode took place in Columbia, that perhaps the trip might be a little bit of a write-off. Uh-huh. So I chose Columbia as the location, and um, and we went to a Colombian mine. It was Henry Alonzo Myers, and I wrote it. Uh-huh. And, uh, and it was this amazing day where I was at the set, and we 
the fake Columbia was in the Hollywood Hills, and it was, you know, this fake Colombian mining town, and it was underneath the Hollywood sign, mm-hmm. and it was sunny and beautiful, and I was at the set all day, and then that night at midnight, I got on a plane, and I flew to actual Columbia, which was a really glorious Hollywood feeling day. It was really great. Wow. And, and yeah. now did that was a write off, but did you actually do anything work related? <laughs> oh God, no. <laughs> that doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Research. Research. Edit that part out, but if, if 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 the IRS comes after it. Yeah. Well, it, it. I'm sure it was research. It was absolutely research. It's, I don't know if you understand the process, but sometimes you do research after you've written and shot something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, and another question is, um. Uh, Anita asks, I, well, she says, I love how you write Sarah Walker, whether being in combat mode or pop culturally challenged. She's always in character. <laughs> how do you know her so well? Oh, that's sweet. Um, you know, I think that's just the gig of TV writing is, is coming in and learning the voices of characters that somebody else created. And I think that it's really lucky on Chuck because the voices are very clear. You know, I think in, you, in the pilot, the voices of all the characters were established. And I think if we, we were just looking back at the pilot, actually, because we're breaking the, the finale. Wow. And so we were looking back at a scene, and we were amazed at how very much themselves everybody already was, which is so hard to do in a pilot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Chris and Josh and the actors, did, you know, really made that happen. So it's just a matter for me, you really like, it's almost like when you, you know, go somewhere and you think, oh, my God, I know exactly what my mom would say right now if she were here. I know exactly what my best friend would say right now. I could hear their voice and hear them saying it. Mm-hmm. When you when you live with these characters all day every day and watch them enough, you, you their voices in your in your head too, and you just kind of know what they would say. Also, the pop cultural stuff of Sarah, I like to bring out a lot because I feel as though it's very much my experience of mm-hmm. the not low number of geeks that write and work and act on Chuck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's often some um, you know geek. Banter that's going on that I'm completely out of the loop of. Hmm. I'll often kind of write dialogue that will say, and then Chuck says geekity geek 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 to be filled in by, you know, one of you people. Like, uh-huh. what's the geek reference here for like, here's the structure of the joke with geek reference in the middle there. What's the geek reference? And then somebody comes up with like, it's a first edition, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, all right. I plug that in. So I think I probably channel some of my attitude towards the geekness of it all into Sarah. <laughs> Well, that's great. That's great. And uh, one other Chuck-related question before we move on. Jem asks, can you tell us anything about your upcoming episodes? Oh, my goodness. I just feel very nervous because, you know, it's a, it's really a Chris Bedak sort of who what what's let out when. And I have a big mouth, and I'm positive that whatever I pick to tell you, mm-hmm. I will get in huge trouble for. Yeah. So I'm just, I just... Feel very nervous. Uh, not, you know what? You know what? He would leak. Oh, I think he would leak this. We are. You know what? No, because she's not booked yet, so I can't even tell you that. I was going to give you a little piece of of fun casting for an episode I have coming uh-huh. up, but it's not even for sure. So I just I have to be mysterious oh, for okay. once in my life. We'll I'm going to be work on mysterious. It. Cool. And um, let me just see. Okay, so I think that's it for Chuck, and we are coming to the end of our time. The last thing we usually do is talk about breaking in tips. So imagining you're you're speaking to somebody who has just gotten off the boat or the plane or the bus in Los Angeles and wants to break into TV writing, what would you advise them to do? Well, a couple of things. Again, you know, just ask anybody you can to take them out to lunch and pick their brain. 
and generally I wouldn't ask for more than that. You know, it's it's asking for somebody's time is usually enough. If they fall in love with you during that lunch and they say, send me something or let me do something for you, then they do. But just to like, let me just ask you about your experiences is, I think, a great way to, to try to bend somebody's ear or a phone call or whatever it is. Can I get 15 minutes to ask how you got in? And you never know. They might warm up and offer you more. Mm-hmm. As far as writing goes, I really got a lot. I took a couple of different UCLA extension writing classes. Mm-hmm. I got a lot out of them because I'm very, I have very poor self-motivation. I used to have even worse. <laughs> um, and so just having a teacher uh, with due dates was great for me. And, and I actually met a friend in my first UCLA extension class that got me the Mad About You job and, oh, cool. I, you know, that turned into being able to get, you know, which is, it's very hard to get a first writer's assistant job and that was my first one. So getting that was a big deal and then I got her her first writer's assistant job on Scrubs and she ended up writing on Scrubs for seven years and wow. and I ended up, you know, getting the writer's assistant on seventy show that led to, to writing for seven years. So, you know, you, you'll meet other people in those classes that, you know, may, might help each other. And yeah, just pounding in the pavement looking for that first PA job is really, it's really the hardest one. Once you're in, I would say your job, you have to remember that your job is to make friends and the work you're going to be given is going to be menial. And, and that will drive you crazy if you think of, you know, the fact that you just went to Stanford and now you're getting coffee. Uh Um, but remember that everybody did it and that the job is to do it with a great attitude Mm. because then people start to feel guilty that you're getting their coffee and you're Stanford. (laughs) And that's when they say, so what do you want to do? And maybe they'll read your stuff and maybe they'll send it to their agent. Maybe they'll, you know, we just gave our writer's assistant, um, her second episode. Oh, great. You know, our, our ex writer's assistant on Chuck, um, has written, I think, Two half episodes and a and a third episode by himself last year, and he's the one who does the um, content for the Chuck website now. And so, you know, these assistant jobs do turn into gigs a lot of the time. But also, I would say to keep your eye out for when they don't, because some showrunners have a I don't promote assistance policy, and so oh, find really? that out. Yeah, a lot of people don't want their assistant who's answering their phones to be hustling them for a job. They want them just to answer their phones. Hmm. So, you know, kind of keep an eye out for who you're working for and what their pattern is. And if they've never done anything for any assistant in 20 years, they're probably not going to do anything for you. Hmm. So yeah, that would be, that would be my best, my best pieces of advice. Well, that is very, very helpful. Well, I'm not going to take any more of your time, but I really, really appreciate the time you've taken. And, uh, I cannot wait. October 28th is when Chuck season five starts and, uh, we are counting down the days. Well, I'm really, really grateful for the for for the care and the fandom, and I will just say to the Chuck fans that we really do pay attention and listen, and we have even pictures of Chuck fans that people have mailed in with fan letters that are stuck on the walls in wow. the writers' room to try to remember who we're writing it for and try to try to think of things that that you would like. So we are we are really grateful that you guys have kept us alive so long. Very very cool. Well, thanks again for your time, and best of luck to you. Thank you, and to you. Okay, bye-bye. Okay, bye.